Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties Too. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, as well as the Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know. This episode features one of the three guests who were part of my weekly hour-long NPR show, broadcast over the air every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island, where it is broadcast continuously for 15 years. This show is about dogs, cats, and other creatures who share the planet with us. Please check out my other Pet Talk podcasts at tracyhotchnerpets.com. I'm also the founder and director of the annual New York Dog Film Festival, which travels the country supporting local animal welfare groups after a New York City premiere every October, alongside my annual New York Cat Film Festival, brought to you by Dr. Elsie's. This show would not be possible without the longtime support of Waruva, the pet food company founded and privately run by David Foreman, who named it after his rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa. Waruva is a quirky name for a company with whimsical names for the dozens of different cans and pouches of cat food they make. But what sets them apart is how serious David is about high-quality nutrition. They were the first pet food company to use human edible ingredients and process them in the same facilities that make human food, remaining privately owned and run, accountable only to their own high standards. This show was also made possible with the generous support of Dr. Elsie's, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Bruce Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian. He personally created many styles of litter to make sure that even the fussiest cats would not have out-of-litter box problems, the number one reason people abandon their cats. Dr. Elsie also created his own brand of cat food called Clean Protein, the first dry cat food I can recommend because it's based on the protein found in a cat's natural prey. I'm also grateful to Earth Animal, which is privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, where they create holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. Earth Animal makes a dazzling array of healing products for dogs and cats, as well as the innovative dog chew, no hide, and the hybrid dry food wisdom, which is sometimes all that my picky Weimaran or Maisie will eat. Kathleen Donnelly is back with another National Forest Canine Mystery. And I must say, for a woman who had only written one book, which she came on the show about before, which was excellent, she's really on a roll. Hunting the Truth is such a good book. Kathleen, congratulations on capturing not just the woman and her dog and their relationship and how dogs work and how people can be dreadful and just edge of the seat. So creative and fascinating. The book is just such an original. Congratulations. Thank you so much, Tracy. And thank you for having me back on the show to to share information about my book. I appreciate it. Well, it's my pleasure because I think one of the things you do is not just make the dog sort of part of the story, but she is the story along with her owner, but it's just such a great relationship they have. Can you tell everybody again a little bit about your relationship with search and rescue and other kinds of working canines? Because this is an insider's view for sure. Sure, I'd be happy to. I have been a handler for a private drug dog company called Sherlock Hounds Detection Canines. I've been a handler since 2005, and I've worked probably 
10 to 12 dogs over the years, and they're just so amazing at their jobs, and they're so willing and wonderful and the best partners in the world. And I wanted to bring that into a book and show, I, I wanted Juniper, the two-year-old Malinois in the book, to be almost as much of a main character as Maya, her handler. And she is. And the way you depict her energy, her high energy and her need for exercise, her need for mental stimulation, her need always, you constantly bring up her need to do something is so important because it's so true and genuine. And the idea that these working dogs could be pets, I think is just a great disservice both to the dog and to the people. They just can't. And I think that every single time that Maya takes Juniper out of a crate or out of a car, or even she's in the house with her, you always have the sense of this energy bubbling over. And you never fail to bring that up. And I think it's what makes the book so real, is the book, the dog is a three-dimensional character. She has personality and energy and desires and even her desire to bite people is so charming. <laughs> I mean, a number of times, there's a lot of bad guys in this book and a lot of going off on trails alone, the main character. I'm like, Maya, don't do it. You have a boyfriend that could help you, but you don't <laughs> want help because that's who you are. And she's off in the woods and these there's a more than one, it turns out, bad guys out there. And when she has the dog sort of guard the person, you you do help us understand that the dog would just really love to be released and do that bite work that she's so good at. And I think it's funny because the labs you work with, you, you do drug t detection in the schools, are the opposite of that. They're not supposed to be scary or threatening or have that desire. You're supposed to, as I understand it from your website, supposed to be part of the school community and viewed as part of the day, not some scary interloper going to take you down if you have <laughs> something illegal in your locker. Different kind of dogs, yes, right? Very different kind of dogs. And it was really fun to write Juniper because she is in so many ways similar to my dogs, but very different, as you mentioned. So the labs are only trained to find narcotics. They would never bite anyone. They, I say they might lick someone to death, but exactly. they would never bite anyone. But I was exposed to a lot of these working dogs, the patrol dogs, in doing training sessions with both of our trainers, one is in Oklahoma and one now lives back east. And when you're exposed to the Malinois, you see that not only their energy is almost more than the labs. In fact, I will say they're oh, higher yes. energy than the yeah. labs, easily, very easily higher energy. But they look at the bite work as, oh boy, that human's a giant squeaky toy yes. and I get to go have fun with them if they do something that gives me permission to go bite them. And so it was fun to put that into the book because sometimes I think people think the police dogs are just naturally aggressive. They don't realize there's a lot of training that goes into it. And when they're off duty, they're not always that way. So it was fun to kind of try to show that. Well, it is, it is a good point, um, Kathleen. But one of the things I've been trying to point out recently and next week, um, have a gentleman on Mission Canine Rescue. He, he uh, rescues, rehabilitates, and places retired military working dogs with the appropriate families. And 
I think what's important to understand is that there are working dogs and then there are working beasts. And the beasts need to be beastly because of what's required of them. And a Malinois is just not a pet dog or a Turverin, which is, let's say, a longer-haired version of a Malinois. And I think it's important to understand that, yes, they're all individuals, but when you have a breed that is bred to go many, many hours on high alert and follow your commands— you can't make a dog want to go after somebody or something. All you can do is harness that energy, right? I think that's, it's sort of a little yeah. bit like like show horses, which I spent 15 years of my life doing. And people might think, oh, that's cruel. You make the horse jump over the obstacle. You can't make a horse jump over an obstacle. They have to have the desire to do it. And some have it and some don't. And some want to go higher and faster and some don't. You can't make that happen. It's in them and then you can mold it and make a partnership with it. And I think dogs who have the high drive to search or to take down people, mostly people, what else are they going to take down, right? They're not going to take down other animals. I mean, hunting dogs might, but I think it's important to understand that what you're doing is shaping and molding and controlling a a primal urge in that individual, which may or may not be breed related, but you can't just turn it off. It's always going to be there. It's always going to be accessible to the person who knows the dog and can sense it. And it must be really I wonder if the the people training alongside you who were doing military and police work with the really high drive, let me at them kind of dogs, how do they view your more gentle, very high drive, but determined to find things, Labradors? Did they view them as like, oh, you got the easy, you got the easy one, lady? Or how do they view the the, the gentler labs? You know, that's an interesting question. I, I never had anyone say to me, oh, it's easier or anything like that. Because, And I think it's because as handlers, we all respect the job we have to go out and do. Yes. And we know that it is a big piece of it is that bond and working together. And as a handler, I feel like you never quit learning. Yes. I feel like you're you're always helping each other out and saying, hey, I did this and this helped and this worked. I think instead probably what the handlers, or at least this is my viewpoint, is I just look at it as this handler has a different skill set and it goes with that dog. Right, so right. I could pick up the leash of a Malinois who's trying to find narcotics and I could go ahead and probably work them in a narcotics detection situation. But if it came to tracking or apprehension or anything like that, I would not be able to do that. But that would be a multi, right. And that would, but that would be a multi-purpose dog who'd been trained to do both things. Exactly. Right. I mean, the the Malinois wouldn't just say, okay, drugs today, no problem, lady, I'm on board. I remember the last time you were on, I'm just remembering extraordinary that you were, you're there in the schools to reduce the, or (laughs) eliminate illegal drugs and alcohol. And you talked about one of your brilliant dogs alerting on a car in the parking lot where kids had had alcohol and it wasn't even open. And I just thought, what the heck kind of refinement of their natural born gift to smell things did that dog have? And how cool was it that you could work alongside that dog and find a bottle of alcohol in a kid's car where the kid would never have thought he was in any jeopardy. It wasn't even open yet. That was incredible to me. 
Yeah, their noses are incredible, and they continue to amaze me. They they will go out and find something, and I'll look at them and think, well, how the heck did you find that? Yeah. And, I, I mean, like you said, vehicle, unopened container, uh, you know, backpacks, through lockers, yeah, multiple yeah. containers, even toilets. Uh, Willow and Boomer have both alerted on toilets where someone thought, I think they thought they were trying to flush it because they saw us in the school, wow. but it didn't flush. And so the whole myth of water will hide the scent is not true. They went right to it. So That's it's, it's wild. truly amazing. It is. Well, I think one of the things that I loved about Hunting the Truth was how much the the woman character, the human, how her sense of smell is very important in the story, in the book. She smells cigarette smoke, isn't sure. She remembers a man's aftershave from years before. Now she smells it again. Any number of situations in which her sense of smell is highly tuned and is locked into her memory because a lot of the book is her trying to uncover a childhood traumatic memory, which is part of solving the, the crime at hand. And and there's her dog, Juniper, also picking up odors of things you would think, really, that has an odor? You know, a car, an oil spill, a, a backpack that was set on the ground near a car that's now gone. It's pretty amazing and and totally believable in the context of the book, but also you know it's true because you've lived it. You know what I'd love to do is have you read the section that I that I earmarked for you. Just give people a sense of what a great, um, what, how well you use language to, to depict the time and place. That sounds great. I'd be happy to do that. Okay, so in this chapter, Maya is getting ready to run a track around her cabin because she knows someone has been watching her. Yes. All right. All right. She came back around to the door to Juniper's compartment, and Juniper started some high-pitched yips. Maya waited for her to settle down and then let Juniper out of the vehicle. Juniper spun in circles, but she finally settled down, and Maya snapped the leash on the tracking harness. She continued to ask Juniper to settle until she felt the dog was ready to focus. Then they went over to where they had run into the foxes. How close had Kendra been to take pictures? Maya closed her eyes and visualized the wall with all her pictures. It seemed like most of them had been taken outside of the large picture window where Juniper would lunge and bark. Feeling that Juniper was paying attention, Maya took her over to outside the window and started casting Juniper out. She would direct the dog in different directions, trying to read her body language and see if she was in odor. Go find him. Seek, Maya said. Juniper, happy to be working, put her nose to the ground, but she continued to wander, which meant she hadn't found a good odor to track. Maya worked her way toward a stand of pine trees that could be a spot where Kendra would have hidden. Seeing her from inside the cabin would have been impossible. It would be hard to be much closer than that, as Maya had cleared trees out to have defensible space around her cabin in case of a fire. Juniper kept her nose to the ground and a few times brought it up to air scent. Maya had encouraged Juniper to do both. Some trainers wanted the dogs to track with their noses on the ground and not air scent. This meant the dog would follow the exact footsteps of the person they were after. The problem with that was the suspect could come back around and ambush a dog and handler. So Maya had worked with Juniper to put her nose up in the air, too. That way, if someone was hiding, they had a better chance of finding them. Juniper had been a superstar at figuring that out, especially if it meant she could take a bite at the end of the track. (laughs) 
They continued their way back through the woods, surrounding Maya's cabin, getting further away. All of a sudden, Juniper paused. She whipped around, and her tail poked straight up. Maya's heart rate picked up. She tried to remain calm so her dog wouldn't cue off her, but she really hoped they could find something. She knew that if they found evidence, she'd have to call Josh, Lucas, and Miranda, but for now, it made Maya feel like she was still helping with the investigation, and she wanted some sort of clue that would help them find Eric Torres and put him away for life. That's a perfect example of what I meant about you describing not only (laughs) Juniper's energy, but the other point that is so subtle in there. Three different times, Maya had to wait for Juniper to settle down. And that's something that most of us with pet dogs don't think about. You can't give a command. You can't do even a fun training session until the dog is settled enough to focus and pay attention. And you're putting yourself and the dog in a frustrating no-win situation if they haven't gathered themselves into themselves, which they will do. But you have to not only give them time to do that, but notice when they've done it. And I'm sure as a handler, that's a skill that you take for granted almost. Well, of course, that's what you have to do. But I think it's something that we as dog owners don't think of enough. I find that one of the times that you can best practice, let's say, a recall is right when your dog, if you have a dog off leash who is a air-scenting, ground-scenting kind of dog or sight-scenting dog, is to try to interrupt them right when they set off, which is hard to do. But I think the best way to, to test how good your recall is and how good the communication is, once they get going, and they're in that mode, they're probably kind of deaf. And I guess that's really what we see a lot of in this book in the relationship is Maya knowing when Juniper can be there for her, but setting Juniper up for success. And I guess that's what I really admire so much about this relationship is the owner knowing the dog so well and understanding her so well that she always lets her be her best self and her most useful self I think it's a very subtle undercurrent to their relationship into the book that is a lot of what kept me really engaged. So I admire that, and I hope that other people notice it when they're reading Hunting the Truth and and think about it in their relationship with their own dog, just in boring everyday life, not when there's armed people out there with Molotov cocktails and all kinds of weapons. And my God, it's such a good book. And you also love nature. You live in Colorado, and you you capture the the, the forests and the hills and the roads so well. It just, you very much give us a sense of being there, Kathleen Donnelly. And it's it's just a great gift. And I know you're, I think you're working on a third book, and it's going to be a trilogy at the minimum, right? That's correct. So book three, I literally just finished the edits uh, about a week and a half ago. Send it into my editor, and it's it's considered done and heading into the pipeline. And it's called Killer Secrets. It will be out March 26th, and Hunting the Truth will be out September 26th. So in just well, a couple of weeks. Perfect timing. No, we've we've timed ourselves perfectly, and I just I can't recommend it enough. It's a great um, fall read. It does give you a, a good feeling that we're in fall. Thank you again, Hunting the Truth, Kathleen Donnelly. Just a totally wonderful book. Thank you so much, and thank you again for having me on the show, Tracy. I really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed the show. There's a few more special companies that make the show possible, and I hope you'll try their products because they support my mission to entertain you with valuable information and advice. 
I want to thank Wonderside, founded by a woman entrepreneur who discovered an effective natural way of using plant-powered products to repel fleas, ticks, and other parasites on our pets instead of putting toxic chemicals in or on them. Wonderside makes it possible to protect your pets, children, and property without the chemicals that could be harmful to all of us. The show is also underwritten by Evermore Pet Food, privately owned by two dedicated women who take human edible, ethically sourced ingredients and gently cook dog food that is then frozen in pouches and shipped right to your door. They founded and run their own company and answer only to their own high standards. Finally, we're supported by Magic Fabric Pet Throws, developed by a husband-wife team whose expertise in the textile industry solved the problem of their big hairy dog, Molly, who got on the couch in bed with them, despite her wet fur, muddy paws, and shedding. Sound familiar? They created machine-washable Magic Fabric Pet Throws to trap pet hair, dirt, and moisture, letting you enjoy dog and cat cuddle time without sacrificing your clothes, furniture, or decor. You can buy direct from the creators at magicfabric.com. 